So as we get started in this idea of building a strong tree, strong roots so that we bear good fruits, we know that the Bible is full of those pictures of how it is that we grow in faith and then what results in a growth of, in faith are the works that God desires. And what I love about the Bible is that it never makes a secret how to get stronger in our faith, how to build those roots. The Bible never says you got to figure it out, you got to find some secret code or jump through a whole bunch of hoops. No, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so that will be our focus uh, for this semester uh, as we take a look at developing these strong roots for good fruits. All right, question for you guys tonight. Are you big national park visitors? All right, so raise your hands if you've been to at least one national park. Okay, just about any, everybody. All right, let's go up a couple. Let's, how many people have been to at least three national parks? Still quite a few. All right. Five? Now we're, we're dropping off a little bit. Anybody been to more than 10 national parks that you can think of? Okay, so a lot between five and 10. That's pretty cool. All right, quiz time. Does anybody know which national park is pictured on the screen? Nobody's been to this one. It's in Utah. Yeah, Zion National Park in Utah. Very good, very good. So um, my wife found this year this beautiful calendar for 2021 called Subpar Parks. Anybody know about this? So basically what it is is somebody did some artwork of, uh, of the national parks and then took one-star ratings that people had of those parks and then put them on the artwork. So I just want to share a couple of these with you because I just find it amazing how there can be two ways to see things. Most people who go to national parks are like, oh, this is beautiful, it's awesome. But not everybody says that when they go to national parks. So here's the first one. In January, we're going to talk about Zion National Park. The scenery is distant and impersonal. That was one of the criticisms of that national park, apparently. February, we're in the redwoods now. The trees and coasts are mostly it. So if you go to the redwood forest, that's all you're going to see is trees, you know. I think that was the idea, right? Death Valley is next. The ugliest place I've ever been. Okay, yeah, I mean, this is people's ratings. Not much to look at in the Mesa Verde National Park, apparently, according to this person. This one's my absolute favorite. The Hawaiian volcanoes didn't even get to touch lava. Not sure if that person understands what happens when you touch lava. And I'll just share one more, the Grand Tetons. All I saw was a lake, mountains, and some trees. So you get the idea. There's a whole year. There's six more. If you want to see them after, by, by all means, I'd love to show them to you. But isn't it amazing where most people go to these national parks and say, what a, what a beautiful place. There are others who can find things to complain about, right? And say, well, it wasn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. It's really what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 1, too, as the psalmist sets up for us two ways, I suppose you could say, two ways to approach life in this world. And as we take a look at being planted like a tree uh, near water, the psalmist is going to give us encouragement for which path that we should be on. Let's start with Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how the psalm starts. The whole book of Psalms kicks off this way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So there, the whole book of Psalms starts with the word blessed happy, 
That's exactly what God wants you to be. And so blessed is the one who keeps good company, I suppose we could say, is what Psalm 1 verse 1 is talking about. And again, you see the two responses to God's word, the sinners and the mockers versus those who are blessed and follow the way of the Lord. It really comes down to this, doesn't it? In this world, there are two standards by which you can live. You can choose to live by God's standard, the standard that he sets forth in his word, or you can choose to live by the world's standard. And I think you recognize how at odds with one another those things are. I think you also understand that whichever standard it is that you're going to use, it certainly shapes your thoughts, your attitudes, and ultimately your actions. I'm not sure if you noticed as I read through that first verse the progression that the psalm writer talks about. He talks about walking, and then he talks about standing, and then he talks about sitting. You see the warning that the psalmist is giving? The more comfortable we get following the standards of this world, the sinful standards that are often set up in this life, the more dangerous it is for us. First walking past it and then actually standing among it and then finally taking a seat. I don't think you would be surprised to know that there are 168 hours in a week. Maybe you would have had to do the math a little bit for yourselves tonight. Seven times 24, yeah, 168. But think about it this way. If there's 168 hours in a week and you're trying to follow one standard versus the other, the standard that God sets up in his word and the standard that we see in the world in which we live, doesn't it make sense to use as many of those hours of the 168 as we can to follow that standard of God, to connect with that standard of God's word? so that we have the ammunition, that we have the strength that God provides in his word to fight against the standard of this world. I can tell you this, I discovered in my life that one hour a week probably isn't going to cut it. If I spend one of 168 in God's word, that's not going to give me the deepest roots in my faith. So I've been creative over the years in my life of finding ways to connect with God on my own, And I know that you guys have too, and I highly encourage you to do that. And here's one thing that we see in this verse. The people you surround yourself with matter too, don't they? It's one of my favorite, absolute favorite parts about the chapel ministry. Is when I get to see all of you come on a Wednesday night or a Sunday or to an event that we have and the connections that you make and the strength that you provide for each other as you strive together to live up to the standard that God sets because of what God has done for you in his word. Psalmist goes a little bit further in verses 2 and 3. He writes this, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and, on, and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. We could say, blessed is the one who loves God's word. That's what the psalmist is talking about. Don't you love the word delight? It certainly gives you the right picture of the way that God wants us to feel about his word, to think about his word, to delight in that word. It's not a chore to listen to what God has to say. And I suppose we should back up just a second. When when the psalmist says his delight is in the law of the Lord, that isn't so much 
the law as opposed to the gospel, the teachings that God has in his Ten Commandments, for instance, as much as it is a picture of all of the teachings of God's word. And that explains why, why we can delight in the law of the Lord. Because what the message of the scripture is all about is simply this. Despite my sins, despite your sins, God loves you so much that he was willing to send his son to take your place, to live for you, to die for you, to rise again, to guarantee you that you belong to him, that you're forgiven and that you are his child. That's something to meditate on. That's something to think about. And when we put that in our hearts, when we keep it in our minds that we're redeemed children of God, bought with the blood of Jesus, when that becomes part of our mindset every single day, that's when we're like a tree planted by the water. That's when the roots that God wants us to have solidly in his word are going to bear fruit. And it's when we're secure because we know what God promises us. And then we also know where we're going. The psalmist says it so well when he simply says the Lord will watch over us, that he will continue to keep us in his care and whatever we do will prosper. It doesn't necessarily mean that everything that you do in this life is going to meet with grand success, but that you will be able to handle whatever comes knowing that your eternal future is secure. The psalmist finishes up in the last three verses with these words, Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I suppose to finish out the psalm, we could just say this, Blessed blessed is the one, happy is the one who trusts God's blessings. We're not like chaff. You know that picture of chaff? It's the useless part of the, gra- the stalk of grain that gets thrown up in the air and because it's light, it just gets blown wherever it's led. It doesn't have much of an anchor. It certainly doesn't have any roots. But that's not you and me. We're not people that are opposed to what God says in his word and through that gospel message, God has planted us. He has given us the ability to stand strong even when the difficulties of life come. Have you noticed that over the course of the last year? That as we've dealt with a pandemic and so many other things that are going on in our world, there's only really one place to go when things are out of control, out of my control, and that's to the one who controls all things. That's the roots that God has given you, that even in the midst of trouble, we can be confident and secure We can have complete stability because we know God's promises. We know our future. We know what God has in store for us, not just in this life and the blessings that he wants for us here, but the blessings that we have with him forever in eternity. That's what gives us peace. That's what allows us to handle the ups and downs of life because there is one constant, even as life goes like a roller coaster, the one constant is Jesus' love for you. That's the one thing that will never change. It's the one thing you can count on every single day is that the forgiveness that Jesus won for you on the cross, it's there today, it will be there tomorrow, and it will be there for the rest of your life until you are with him. Did you see the result that the psalmist talked about? That the Lord will watch over the way of the righteous? That's the joy that you and I have when we're rooted in Christ. We're not by ourselves. That God is actually with us, watching over us as he leads us 
to our heavenly home with him. Psalmist lays out two paths, the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. And only one of those paths results in blessings. My prayer for you is that God continues to bless you and keep you on that path to eternity with him as he roots you in his word. That's what the takeaways are about tonight. A couple of things. We develop strong roots and we delight in God's word and strengthen each other. Keep finding yourself connecting with Jesus in his word and then keep using each other. Keep connecting with one another and finding strength in one another on your path to eternity. Then number two, God brings us peace through his word because we have a certain future. The Lord watches over our way and leads us to our heavenly home. All right, I told you I didn't know much about plants and trees and things, so I had to look a few of these things up. We talked about the National Redwood Forest just a little bit, the National Park, the Redwood Forests, and did you know these facts about redwood trees? Do you know that they're redwood trees that they figure are at least 500 years old, maybe even a little bit older? Any idea how tall a redwood tree can grow? About 350 feet. They can grow to be 350 feet tall. And some of the widest ones at the base are well over 20 feet in diameter. If you've ever been to the National Redwood for the Forest, you maybe have seen some of those trees, ones where they have holes cut out so the cars can drive through them, right? Here's something I found super surprising as I was reading about redwood trees this week. Their root system. You would think if a tree is going to grow 350 feet tall, that their roots would have to go super deep too, right? Would you be surprised to know that the deepest that they found redwood trees and the, the roots of redwood trees is about 15 feet. That's all the further they go. But you know how far out redwood tree roots go? Usually somewhere between 50 to 80 feet. They spread out in that 10 to 13, 15 feet that, they're, that they go down. And here's something even cooler about redwood trees. One of the reasons they're able to stand so strong is in a forest of redwoods, when those roots get spread out, they actually interlock with the roots from other trees. Isn't that a cool picture of what you and I have the blessing to do as Christians? We can root ourselves in God's word. We can have the strength that comes from God. But then as we root ourselves together, as we think about the strength we have in one another, that's also a tremendous blessing from God. Yes, God tells you, the psalmist tells you that you are blessed. You are blessed when you keep good company. You're blessed when you love God's word. And you're blessed when you trust that God will bless you all the way to eternity. Amen.